Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And, uh, well, good morning, one and all. How are you this morning? This is Dirt Radio, and we are Friends of the Earth Melbourne, and uh, I'm John. You can check out Foe at uh, Friends of the Earth, foe.org.au. And a many thanks to Yara Bug. We're getting a bit of, uh, bit of background noise here. And uh, I'm John, by the way. Dirt Radio this week, we're going deep into the rainforests of East Gippsland and deep into the oceans that cover three quarters of the planet. Ed Hill is our first guest. He heads up Gecko, which is the Gungera Environment Officer Office in East Gippsland. They've just been awarded the Bob Brown Community Environment Prize for 2016. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, John. I was uh, wanting to, first of all, to congratulate you on the award. And uh, just to start us off, tell us a bit about Gecko, because I, I read that you started back in 1993. And also tell us about this Bob Brown Award that you got. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so Gecko, the Goongra Environment Centre based out in Far East Gippsland in a small community uh, called Goongra, just north of uh, Orbost, um, the far eastern corner of the state. And, yeah, we've been around since 93, working to protect the forests of the region. Many 3CR listeners are probably familiar with the Goolungook blockade, which um, we ran from 97 through till 2002, which ended up um, saving that particular area of forest and adding it into the National Park after a five-year direct action blockade. Um, And in recent years, we've been focused on citizen science and surveying the threatened, threatened species and protected environment, uh, protected forest values out there in the in the forest of East Gippsland that um, are protected under Victorian law, but because the industry isn't really regulated as it should be, a lot of these protected values like threatened species and rainforests are often logged in breach of the law, so Gecko gets around and documents them and compiles reports and pressures the government to actually enforce um, the legal protections that these threatened species and forest values have. Uh, and that's why Bob Brown has awarded our citizen science program this community environment prize for the great community work that um, that, that the crew out there have been doing for so many years. So yeah, it's a real honour. And yes, and it is an honour. And I was going to ask you, uh, what's the significance of it for you guys? Um, well, I guess it's uh, it's just a oh, it's just great to have our work recognised. I guess, um, especially by someone like Bob Brown, who's been um, you know he's a bit of a bit of a hero to. Most of the people that have been working on the campaign for so many years, he's been out been out there himself. He was arrested at Goolengook back in um, uh, back in two thousand, I think it was. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it it means a lot, and it's great to have that that acknowledgement. That the um, the campaign we've had some really great wins this this year, which I think caught the attention of the um, that, that Bob's been really impressed with. Um, through our surveying, we've we've actually created five five new protected areas just this year for 
greater gliders. They're Australia's largest gliding marsupial, and we get out there and survey for them. And if you find more than 10 of them within a one-kilometre distance, um, the law requires a 100-hectare protection area to be, to be put in place to protect them. Um, and this, unfortunately, never really happens because the industry is just self-regulated and the government and the logging companies don't actually get out there and look for these species before they commence logging. So Gecko's had some great success just this year getting out there and looking for some of these species and, and they're, a, they're, in a vulnerable, they're a threatened species that's just been listed as vulnerable on the threatened species, the, the federal threatened species list. Um, and some of these areas that we're working in are really some of the last um, areas of good quality habitat for, for them up there on the Erinundra Plateau, um, the last little bits of old growth that, that haven't been logged. So it's been great that we've been able to protect them this year. The uh, the citizen science project sound really interesting and uh, very innovative as well. How did how did that all start? Oh, Gecko's been doing it for years. Really, it's just sort of become a bit more sophisticated um, in recent in recent times. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, there's a there's a whole bunch of threatened species and and forest types that that are actually protected by law, but the government just don't bother regulating the industry and looking for them. Um, so it sort of makes sense to for, for conservationists to get out there and, and, and do it themselves and use that as a, as a, as a tactic to, um, to further advocate for the protection of these amazing forests and, and hold these logging companies account. Give so us a, sort of, Ed, Ed, sorry I'm, I've interrupted you, but uh, just, right. just give us an idea. Say, for example, you were going to do the, a bit of... Uh, a bit of the survey work around this particular um, issue. Uh, how do you go about doing it? Do you have to go out at night and uh, tell us a little bit more about how it actually works? Sure. Well, we, we conduct surveys for a, a, a whole range of different protected environmental values. Um, sometimes we go out at night to look for greater gliders or, or owls, like the sooty owls and the powerful owls. So they're nocturnal species that um, you, know, you need to go out at night and look for them, and we use spotlights um, we shine the spotlights up into the trees and we we look for the eye shine, so the light reflecting back off mm. the eyes. And we've, um, we use standard survey techniques that, um, you know, just standard ecological survey techniques, um, you know, that scientists use. Um, so we, we do spotlighting for arboreal um, mammals that live in the trees, like the greater gliders. We also set up remote fauna cameras that we place in the forest um, mm. Motion um, triggers them, and infrared, they have an infrared infrared sensor. Um, we use them to look for the endangered long-footed potteroo. Um, um, when they walk past, it takes an image of them, and mm. then we know that they're present in the forest, and we put those reports into the government. The other thing that we do is uh, rainforest surveys, where we, we conduct botanical surveys that map the extent of rainforest, which is meant to be protected in Victoria, but unfortunately uh, it's logged in breach of the law uh, many, many times. Mm. We've put in about five different rainforest reports this year, which the where logging has actually been forced to stop in order to comply with the law after we've put, put legal and political pressure on the government to do so. And now those areas are all under investigation by the government. And we're hoping that um, the Environment Minister, Lily D'Ambrosio, um, will will make the Department of Environment actually stand up to Vic Forests and... Um, criminally prosecute them for for these five very serious breaches of the rainforest how protections. Do, how do they go how do they end up going into areas that they're not supposed to go into is it something that they just say oh we didn't know or how, how does that work? Yeah, well it's 
some there's a number of reasons. It's partly just because the the way the industry's set up. I mean, you've got a you've got a logging the uh, uh, government uh, logging agency, which is Vic Forest, they're a government owned logging company, and they're regulated by a government department. Um, so you know, it's kind of like the government regulating the government, and mm. it's a complete conflict of interest because you've got the the the, the logging agency. Um, can, they can log wherever they want. They have access for 25 years um, to areas of state forest. So everywhere outside of parks and reserves, they can mm-hmm. um, they they can log, and they're the ones that design the the coops. They can or, or the areas that um, um, that they'll be logging, and they uh, they can approve their own plan. The previous Liberal government removed any um, additional oversight. The, the Department of Environment used to have to approve their logging plans, but now Vic Forest, the logging agency approves their own logging plan with no oversight. Um, and, you know, it's it's just a conflict of interest for a logging yes. agency to be also responsible for identifying protected environmental values which could possibly stop them logging. So what inevitably happens is they just don't bother looking and they see and they, you know, just try and get away with it and mm. till, the, till community groups like Gecko find them and hold them accountable, um, mm-hmm. that they would just be, be logging in breach of the law um, constantly, but the other reason why they don't, why they're constantly going into these areas that they shouldn't, is because there's really not actually a lot of timber left in Victoria. We've been over harvesting and wood chipping our native forest for a good thirty years now, um, at, at, a, at a highly unsustainable rate, and um, you know it's, it's it's really tragic that there's actually not a lot of timber that's desirable for for the logging industry left in this state. So you see areas where they really shouldn't be going at all. Yes. Um, where and they, the only way that they can log them is actually by breaching their own rules. You mentioned earlier that uh, your approach to the environment is is pretty multi pronged. And uh, earlier this month, there was a National Threatened Species Day, and Gecko took part in an action at Parliament House, which I was pretty intrigued by. I thought you were using some fairly interesting, um, so I suppose, interesting ways of uh, presenting this stuff. What tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that, well, that was a bit of fun. Uh, we held a sort of satirical and theatrical action down at um, Parliament on Threatened Species Day. Uh, we tallied up the the value of uh, the financial value of all the survey work that we've done over the years, looking for protected species um, in areas of state forest subject to logging, and we combined them with um, with the, that with the work that uh, Fauna and Flora Research Collective, that are another citizen science group have been doing as well as the Wildlife of the Central Highlands Group, which is another citizen science group that's just sprung up in the Central Highlands that look for the Leadbeater's possum mm. and saving some, some good habitat there as well. So we tallied up the, the, the value of all the hours that we've spent and all the protected areas that we've made and all the logging that's been stopped as a result of this work, the work that the government should be doing, and we put a financial value on it based on the standard industry rate, and it turned out that um, we'd spent over ten thousand hours over the over the, over the last decade um, doing this work, and that um, the value of that's about two million dollars. So we hmm. we made a ginormous invoice, and we tried to get it to the treasurer, Tim Pallas, who's the yes. sole shareholder of Vic Forest. Right. Um, uh, but unfortunately, no response. We've, <laughs> we've, we've we sent it off to him. Um, yeah, I saw the I saw the pictures. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a drop in the ocean, though. Really, when you consider how much this government subsidises the logging, um, you know, this is a, this is big forest or a government business enterprise yep. that operate yep. on 
on, on public money. They they lose $5.5 million each year on their operations in East Gippsland. So, yeah, yeah re- really, it's a drop in the ocean. But it just shows the immense value of the citizen science work that all these groups are doing to, to, to protect these species that really the government should be protecting. Absolutely, and uh, very interesting that you used uh, use the classic neoliberal approach there, sort of turning it on themselves, <laughs> calculating it up and saying, hey, guys, here it is, uh, free labor. Um, just to let people know uh, about your website, it's gecko.org.au for uh, anybody who wants to see the images because they're up there and uh, very, very interesting as well. Finally, what, what's, what's next for Gecko and um, over the next coming months? Yeah, well, we've got we organise regular citizen science survey camps where members of the public can come out. They're, they're free. Um, you come out and camp, and we run workshops and presentations on the ecology of the forest and the ecology of the animals, and and information sessions about the campaign. And we go out and uh, go walking in some of the areas that are threatened by logging, and we search for these threatened species and teach people the survey techniques. Um, so we organise these quite regularly. We've actually got one coming up this weekend. Uh, on the grand final long weekend on Friday and this coming Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Right. Um, it's out in Goongar and you can find information about that on our website as well in the um, in the events page. Great. Uh, we've got another one and we're like, we've got a series of them coming up over summer as well that you can find information on, on the website. Um, they're really great events. Um, we've had really good turnout to them. We, we often get 40 to 60 people coming to them and we've organized about nine in the last right. uh, 18 months so yeah they're, they're really great events and great opportunities for people to come out and see some of these incredible forests um, well, and help save them well thanks so much ed and thanks, uh, all the best to you and uh, your citizen science projects and gecko as well all the best thanks a lot john and uh, we were talking there with uh, Ed Hill. He's at uh, Gecko, which is a Gungara Environment Office in Far East Gippsland. And as I said, you can check them out on your on the website, um, gecko.org.au. And uh, this is Dirt Radio. We'll be back right after this. Common Ground Festival is back this November, featuring Frank Yammer, Dallas Frasca, Emily Waramara, The Deans, plus loads more. Complementing the music makers on stage will be free workshops from the Group Work Institute, a social change unconference, mouth-watering food and nature in abundance. It's about working together to make the world a better place and having one heck of a good time along the way. So visit commongroundfestival.org.au for your tickets. A 3CR supporter. On Sunday, the 9th of October, 3CR opens its doors to the community and invites you to come in and celebrate 40 years of radical radio. There'll be an awesome afternoon tea, roving musicians, special on-air broadcasts, and the opportunity to step into the studio and get behind the mic. There'll also be face painting for the kids, stalls, rolling station tours, and the chance to purchase, for the first time, 3CR 40th birthday t-shirt. Come in and enjoy your community radio station. 3CR Open Day, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Sunday the 9th of October, 12 to 4pm. See you all there.
of Radical Radio includes radical music. 3CR's Music Matters continues with this tradition every week by promoting and supporting live, independent Australian music. In November, Music Matters will be three years young and we'd love you to join us in celebrating our third birthday and 3CR's 40th birthday at a benefit gig at the Bella Union on Thursday, 3rd of November. A stellar lineup of artists who perform for Music Matters will be announced soon, so get out your diaries and lock in November the 3rd, when we'll see you at the Bella Union with your dancing shoes on. And this is Dirt Radio, and uh, well, we've been talking about protecting forests. Let's turn to the oceans. They cover about three quarters of the surface of the globe, and they're also needing a lot of looking after. Tulio Rossi is a marine biologist at the University of Adelaide, and he's with Dirt Radio to explain why. Good morning, Tulio. Good morning, everyone. Poets and writers have been talking a lot over the years about the deep, silent, brooding depths of the oceans. Your research suggests exactly the opposite. Absolutely. The ocean is not silent at all. I don't know why they had that idea. So if you ever put your head underwater nearby a reef, you'll notice the, this background crackling sound. And most people have no idea what makes that sound. But during my studies, I discovered that it's actually shrimps. So there's this particular kind of shrimp called snapping shrimp that make a very loud sound by snapping their claw. And as they snap their claw, they create a little bubble. When it pops, there's this very loud noise. And because these shrimps are so abundant, uh, they create this constant background crackling noise, which is a bit like uh, the popping of a fireplace or the popping of a frying bacon, just to give you an idea. And uh, basically this sound uh, is quite useful to us scientists because it gives us an idea of the health of the environment. So let me explain. If the environment is healthy and the habitat is intact, there will be lots of um, these shrimps and they will be making lots of noise. They will be happy and they have all shelter and food. But if we pollute the environment, uh, the, the habitat will not be able to support healthy populations of these shrimps. And we'll be able to find out uh, simply by dropping a microphone underwater mm. and listening. Tulio, your research is uh, suggesting that sound is really important for all kinds of animals and cr- little critters and, and uh, all kinds of life in the ocean. Why is sound so important? Well, you have to put yourself uh, in the shoes of a baby fish. So most fish don't get any parental care. The, the parents spawn and the eggs and sperm fertilize in the water and then they drift offshore uh, for weeks. Then when the baby fish are ready, well, they're still very, very small. They have to go back to shore somehow and they have to find a reef where to settle uh, and live for the rest of their life. The little fish um, are really, really resourceful and they, during during the course of evolution, that they evolved the ability of um, finding the reef by listening to it. Because reefs are really noisy and sound mm. propagates very well in the water, uh, baby fish can detect the direction of the reef uh, simply by listening. And so sound propagates 
very far. So they first listen to the reef, then they swim towards it. As they get closer, they might be able to smell it. Hmm. And then only at the very last moment, they'll actually be able to see it. So for this reason, having a healthy uh, so-called soundscape, so a healthy, noisy reef, hmm. is very important for fish and also for us, because then if we don't have uh, many fish around our coastline, well, it might be that it's because the reef doesn't sound right to them. Interesting. I, I, I'm having a picture in my mind. I, normally, you don't think about fish having hearing in a sense. Uh, this is a very interesting idea. The crux of your research, as I, as I read about it, and, and where I found out about your research was in the conversation, and uh, we'll put the reference in our, our website. But as I understand it, your, your research is saying that the, the oceans are actually going quiet, and this could be a major sign of some kind of environmental disaster ahead of us. What's happening? Well, what we've, we've done a couple of things. We, we've... Uh... Um, research the effect of nutrient pollution here in South Australia on the soundscapes. And we found that healthy habitats uh, are noisy, definitely noisy. Uh, especially we looked at kelp forests, which are like beautiful underwater forests made of these beautiful algae. And then we compared nearby uh, reefs where instead the, the habitat shifted from these beautiful forests to uh, a mat of uh, algal turfs. And this is a sign that the environment is polluted because this shift happens when you enrich the habitat with too much, too many nutrients, which is generated by basically uh, us using too much fertilizer on land, which is washes down uh, in the ocean, and then it degrades the habitat quality. So we found that there was a very big difference in uh, this, uh, how much sound you find in healthy versus a degraded habitat here in South Australia. But also, we've done, um, we use some really special places to figure out if this could also happen in the future on a global scale. So we went to these places called natural CO2 vents, which are found around volcanic islands. In these places, you have shallow waters and um, CO2 bubbles that seep through the seafloor because of volcanic activity. And so in these places are like natural laboratory for us because on one side you have the normal condition with like current day CO2 condition concentration, while on the other side you have pockets of water which have an acidity or a concentration of CO2 which is comparable to what we will get by the end of the century mm. if we do not reduce our carbon emissions. So we went there and I sampled the um, soundscape uh, again along this gradient of uh, CO2 concentration, and found a very interesting pattern where, again, the more uh, CO2 you have in the water, the less sound produced by these shrimps you have. And this is caused by a couple of reasons. First, the habitat changes and it gets degraded with CO2, just like it happens when you mm -hmm. pollute it with nutrients. But also, we found with some uh, doing some lab experiments on, on these shrimps, is that the behavior of the shrimp itself changes because of CO2. And basically, they snap less frequently. Mm. And this uh, links back to a whole other body of research where we found that ocean acidification changes the behavior of fish. And it does so in a very profound way by altering one of the most important neurotransmitters in the brain, 
which, by the way, is also altered when we drink a beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, let me just finish. Uh, I, 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 we've got a lot more to talk about, of course, but I've got to round it up but by asking, in, as, asking you about local conditions because in the piece that you wrote, you, you basically said it is very difficult to change things at a global level, but at the local level, things can actually be done. What do you think should be going on at the moment? At the local level, uh, well, we can manage our uh, runoff, so we can manage how much fertilizer we use on land, and we and that that will be actually fairly easy when you compare it to dealing with carbon emissions. So, for example, this is something that is now a hot topic in Queensland because uh, one of the main reasons of the degradation of the Great Barrier Reef is that uh, is the same thing: the nutrient pollution. So to agricultural practices that are not um, optimal, reducing uh, runoff of water, which contains too much fertilizer, and that degrades coral reefs in Queensland or our beautiful kelp forests here in southern Australia. It's a similar process. So that should be fairly easy. At the local level, uh, it's certainly more, uh, sorry, at the global level, dealing with carbon emissions is certainly more difficult but uh, I like to be optimistic because after uh, what's been agreed at COP21, at the Paris talks, uh, we finally have made the first significant step in the right direction and the whole world came together for the first time in history and agreed on acting and limiting climate change. So, yes, it's a massive challenge, but uh, I like to be optimistic and I see very good signs that we are actually going in the right direction if you look at especially at the energy industry. We're seeing a very rapid change away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy. Well, let's so leave it let's leave, Yeah, let's leave it at optimism, uh, Tulio. And uh, I, I want to thank you so much for talking with Dirt Radio today and all the best on your work, very interesting work as well. Thank you very much. I wish a great day to everyone. Tulio Rossi is a marine biologist at the University of Adelaide. He's been doing some work on ocean soundscapes, as we heard. And we're Dirt Radio. We've got to get out of here. We'll be talking to you next week.